as we continue talking about um, the Sermon on the Mount, we continue looking at the things that Jesus is putting out for us. Today we talk about um, something we can make light of or something that we can take seriously. And, and I like that, that Mike reminded us um, that we don't get to soften the things God says, right? Like we want to do that. We want, we, want to, we want to make it okay. We want to make it fit. It's a good life lesson. It's good for us. But is it like a hundred degrees in here? No? <laughs> You're like, no? Nah. Fine. See, she's fanning herself. You know, what I'm, you know what I'm saying. It's warm. Anyway, here's the deal. We want to soften these things, but they're not soft. They're serious. Like God's not wasting time. Jesus, Jesus isn't taking this opportunity at the Sermon on the Mount to gather all these believers together and then tell them things that they could maybe apply to their life if they want to. Right? He's telling them things that are serious and hard and and tough to deal with. These things that, that necessarily will challenge and confront and change the way that they live. And, and, and he's been going through this progression, right? He started with the Beatitudes and he finishes the Beatitudes with the statement, hey, your righteousness, it has to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of religious law. If your righteousness isn't better than theirs, then it's worthless, And that was confusing because as far as the general person thought, the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law, they were the most righteous people in the land. They were it. They were God's chosen people. Everybody else was just trying to learn as much as they could and follow along. But here comes Jesus through the Beatitudes saying, no, 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 you've missed the point. If your righteousness isn't better than theirs, then it's worthless. And then, and then he moves on from then and he talks about these heart reframes, right? He's like, you've got to recapture the law, the heart of the law, what it really was. It's not what they taught you. It's not the religious garbage that they made it out to be, but it, there's a heart of God that's found in the law. And Jesus says, you need to recapture that. And then now, over the next few weeks, Jesus is going to shift gears and he's going to say, if you've recaptured the heart of that law, if your righteousness is surpassing the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders, then this is what your righteousness starts to look like. This is what your religiosity starts to look like. Jesus is completely changing the way the religious people were supposed to be religious. Because what happened is the religious people had gotten very rigidly religious with their own rules and their own traditions and their own things. It was about them. It was about what they could control. It was about what they could hold on to. It was about what they could encourage others to do. But it wasn't really about God. And so Jesus says, no, no, no. Blessed are you if you see this differently. Blessed are you if you know you need me. And your righteousness has to be better than theirs. And it's time to to clean away all that crap that's got attached to the gospel and get back to the heart of the matter. And if you do that, then this is what your religious behavior will start to look like. And the first thing he says, the first thing he says that we're going to deal with is that you've got to stop being a hypocrite. The first thing he says, you've got to stop being a hypocrite 
hypocritical. Right? You, you've got to stop pretending that you know better than God. You've got to stop acting like you're better than everybody else. You've got to stop acting like they're paying attention to you and thinking good about you is the most important thing. You have to stop being a hypocrite. You have to stop being fake. And this is a hard thing for the religious leaders to hear. And frankly, it's a hard thing for us to hear. See, we can't soften it, right? We can't soften it because what it means to be hypocritical um, is, is maybe more than we think. Like, we, we love to tell other people that they're being hypocritical. We hate to look in the mirror and deal with our own hypocrisy. But the reality is that, that all of us here, to some degree, are going to struggle with hypocrisy. And you know why hypocrisy is so darn dangerous? It drives people away from the church. See, when we're hypocritical, not only do we mislead ourselves, not only do we mislead ourselves, we focus on the wrong things. We dig deep into the wrong stuff. We make things a big deal that we're never supposed to be a big deal. We make our religion about us, not about God. We do all kinds of wrong things when we're hypocrites. But the most damning thing is we drive people away. We drive people away from the church. We drive people away from God. We drive people away from salvation. People that maybe were a little bit interested in figuring out what God is like, all of a the sudden, they're not interested anymore in figuring out what God is like because we acted in such a way that we made God seem like a jerk. Or we made God seem worthless. Right? Because if I'm the one talking about how great God is and then I'm acting like this... They don't want any part of the God I'm talking about. So what happens is I've become now, listen, the Bible calls me in that instance a stumbling block. That means somebody was on their way to Jesus and they couldn't get there because they tripped over me. They were on their way to get to Jesus. They were on their way to figure out how to deal with their guilt and their shame and the condemnation of their sin. They were, they were on their way to figure out what Jesus requires, but they couldn't get to Jesus because I was in their way. When I do that, I'm a hypocrite. When I do that, all the things that I thought I was about, it turns out, no, I'm not about any of those. I'm not about saving people. I'm not about bringing people to the cross. I'm not about any of that because my behavior isn't drawing them in. It's pushing them away. And, and, and this is what Jesus is dealing with now in the Sermon on the Mount, right? These, these aren't just pithy sayings and these aren't just good life lessons. This is hard stuff. When he says, your righteousness better be better than their righteousness, he's not just saying, try hard. He's saying it has to be completely different. And I would imagine some of you have probably been burned by hypocrites in the church. When I say hypocritical behavior, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can, you can probably picture somebody. There have been plenty of times 
when you could have pictured me. Right? There have been plenty of times when we talk about hypocrites, you could have looked at me and said, Matt, you're being a hypocrite. And you'd have been absolutely right. Okay, are we motivated satisfactorily to get into the text? Right? We're feeling good about where we're at? Okay, then. Let's open up to Matthew 6. We're going to look at just four verses. Um, but they're not easy. And we're going to spend a little bit of time just on this first one. Matthew 6, 1. Because Matthew 6, 1 actually is the opening statement for all of these next statements about what our religiosity ought to look like. We're going to talk about charity. That'll be verses 2 through 4. But after charity, we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about fasting. We're going to talk about nervousness and anxiety. And we're going to talk about finances. Jesus talks about all of those things, but his first statement, right, before he gets into those specific things is Matthew 6, 1. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. This is how he starts this whole thing. We're going to deal with this over the next three or four weeks. Watch out. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others because you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. See, and Jesus is telling us here that that there's something that the Pharisees are doing, and the Pharisees are looking for their reward from people. He says, you got to stop that. You got to stop that. Stop worrying about other people. Stop being a hypocrite. Hypocrites are littered throughout Scripture, it's endemic of fallen mankind. First hypocrite, Cain offered false worship to God. And when God confronts him about the false worship, when God doesn't accept it because it's not the worship that God desires, he gets angry and kills his brother. Absalom. Absalom, the the son of King David, swears allegiance, right? He's been banished. He's exiled. He wants to come home. He swears allegiance to his father, King David. I will serve you. And then plots to, to murder him and overthrow um, the kingdom. The worst one, Judas, the betrayer. Judas spends years following Jesus around, learning from him, eating with him, sitting under his teaching, learning from him. And then he betrays him with a kiss on the cheek. Ananias and Sapphira, at the birth of the early church, hypocritically say to everybody, look at us, look how good we are that we're donating all of this, all of our resources to the church. While holding some back. It was theirs to do with what they wanted, but they made sure everybody knew how holy are we, we're giving it all. And God dealt with them harshly. See, one of the things that we know is that God deals harshly with hypocrites. And we're going to have to wrestle with this because this is, this, is one of the, this is one of the most tragic things about us is that God deals harshly with, with hypocrites um, and that our nature wants to be hypocritical. It was with Israel. Look, look at what he says um, in Amos. This is the prophet Amos. God says this through him. He says, I hate. I mean, that's a strong word. Can't soften that word. You can't make it say I'm disappointed, right? 
I'm disappointed with your behavior. I wish you would choose differently, right? No, this is God saying, I hate it when you do this. I hate your show and your pretense. I hate how you act all holy. I hate all of these festivals, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I won't accept your burnt offerings and your grain offerings. I won't even notice all of your choice peace offerings. And, and the people are making all of these sacrifices. And they're like, God, we're, we're giving you all of this stuff. And he's like, I hate it. And it's not like they were doing it wrong. They were doing exactly what he had put down in the law that they were supposed to do. They were making the right sacrifices. They were using the right kind of sheep, the right kind of, of cattle. They were, they were using the right amounts of grain and olive oil and, and all of the incense. They were doing everything right when it came to offering the sacrifice. And God says, I hate it. I won't accept it. I reject it. I don't want anything to do with these. It's away with your noisy hymns of praise. Stop singing to me. Stop singing about how you love me. I'm not listening to the music of your harps. He's like, just knock that nonsense off. Instead, do this. Put your money where your mouth is. It's really what he's saying. It's like, I don't want to see any more sacrifices. I hate your sacrifices. Your sacrifices, they suck. Because they're not what I've asked for. And they're like, but yes, this is exactly what you asked for. We're just following the law. And he's like, no, 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 no. Listen, listen, they're hypocritical. Why are they hypocritical? Because you hate everybody else. Because you take advantage of everybody. Because you betray my character. You make sacrifices to me saying, great is God. We want to follow God. We want to be like God. And then you walk out of there and you do whatever you feel like. It's like, I hate it. You do that in my name. You make me look bad. He said, instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice. An endless river of righteous living. He's like, you want to worship me? And get your life right. Stop worrying about religious behavior and get your life right. It's not that the religious behavior is wrong. I mean, be religious. That's fine. But being religious while acting like a heathen, God draws a line. He says, I hate that. You can't do it. Leave me out of it. Leave me out of it. It says the same thing in Isaiah, right? This isn't a one-time thing. In Isaiah, he says, what makes you think I want all of your sacrifices? I'm sick of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened cattle. I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgusts me. It disgusts him. I mean, that's a strong word. He's like, your best that you're bringing me makes me want to throw up. As for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and your special days for fasting, they are sinful and false. And I want no more of your pious religious meetings. You're like, well, what does he want instead? Well, he continues in verse 16. Wash yourselves. Be clean. 
Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. He's like, are you kidding me? All I really want, this is God saying, all I really want is for you to act like you know who I am. I mean, this is, this is the ridiculous thing about it. We have religious leaders that are saying, hey, follow God, right? And, and, and you need to do all of this to honor God. And then they go and they act like they've never met me. It's like, what right do you have to tell people that you know me and that you speak for me and that you worship me when you act like we've never met? Because how could I know God? How could I worship God and think he doesn't care about injustice? How could I worship God and and claim to be following God and serving God and act like he doesn't care about my secret sin? How can I say I love God, follow God, worship God, and then act like he doesn't care? It doesn't work. God says, I, I, I hate it. See, here, here's the thing. And this is what we're wrestling with as we get into the Sermon on the Mount. When, when he says, listen, you've got to be better than the Pharisees. You've seen what they're like. You know what they're like. And he's saying, you have got to be better than them. Because listen, and, and, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't use this word um, lightly. I use it purposefully because God uses it. Because God hates hypocrites. He hates it. It disgusts him. Right? It's not like he's unhappy with it. He hates it. It's disgusting to him. God reserves his harshest judgment for religious hypocrites. He just does. It's one of the reasons why the Pharisees hated him. The Pharisees and and, and the religious leaders hated him because he said, you're doing it wrong. And all of that stuff you're doing, it's meaningless. It's like, I hated it. Disgust me. Knock it off. It's like, I would rather you didn't even acknowledge me than you act like this in my name. He saved all of his harsh judgment, or at least a lot of his harsh judgment, harshest for religious hypocrites. Look what he says in Mark. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. He wrote, man, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. Their worship is a farce. They teach man-made ideas as commands from God. He's like, they're they're not mine. They say they're mine, but they're not mine. It got so bad that that during Jesus' day, in Israel, they actually had something called professional mourners. So if you wanted to show people how sincerely you were mourning something, like how deeply troubled you were about something, how sad you were, you wouldn't just mourn because that might not really show the deep sincerity of your heart. So you know what you would do? You would hire professional mourners. That's right. There were a group of people that you could hire to come and cry and wail and rip their clothing outside of your house so that people would see the people crying and wailing and ripping their clothing outside of your house and they would go, oh, that Matt Hance, that guy is so deeply spiritual 
And he loves God so much that he is really mourning right now. Look at all of his friends that are mourning with him. But these are just people I paid to come and, and rip their clothes. In fact, um, Jewish tradition tells us that these folks got really good at ripping at the seam so that they could sew it up and be ready to go for their next job. And we're like, why don't people love Christians? I know they're Jewish, whatever. Why don't people love religion? Because that's what they think. Because that's what happens. And so we, we get back to Matthew and Jesus says, watch out, man. Don't let your good deeds... Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others or, you, or you'll lose the reward of your father in heaven, right? And, he, and, and some of us are like, okay, so, so if we can't do our, our good deeds publicly, right, what are we supposed to do? Does everything have to be secret? You're like, why are we doing faith in action? That's public. And, and I'd say, here, here's the problem. You're, you're missing the heart and it's Okay right? That's a fair, legitimate question to have. Like, why, why, I mean, do we take offerings? Why do we do these things? Everything should be done in secret, right? Why, why do we serve at, at charitable organizations? Why do we do these kinds of things? And, and here's the deal, right? Jesus has already said that you are salt and you are light. And, and he even says, you are to let your good deeds shine among men, right? So it's not a matter of that we have to do these things secretly, It's not a matter of that we have to be careful about letting people know we did something good, right? He already says, let your deeds, let your good deeds shine, right? We don't, we don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. We we let it shine. We let our good deeds shine. Why? So that people will see them, not that they'll be done in complete secrecy, so that people will see them. And what will they do? They will give their glory to God in heaven. But here's the problem. Too often, we aren't worried about the glory of God when we let our good deeds shine. What are we worried about? We're worried about how people see us. See, there are a lot of ways to be hypocritical. You can be hypocritical when you're just fake. When, when you say one thing and you mean another thing, that's hypocritical. Do you know what's not hypocritical? Please listen. It is not hypocritical to struggle with sin. I struggle with sin. I say to you publicly, to anybody that will listen, sin is bad. And then guess what? Tomorrow I will... Tomorrow. (laughs) That's cute. I was going to give myself 24 hours of sin free. That's just as dumb. I tell you, sin is bad right? About 10 minutes after church is over, because I think I can hold it together that long. Although that's prideful, that's sinful. I just did it. I'm going to sin. Listen to me. Sin is not hypocrisy. Sin is the human condition that we are fighting against. You're not guilty of being a hypocrite because you struggle with sin. If you're struggling with sin, you are guilty of being a Christian. Someone who has got a draw of the flesh, but knows that I need to put that to death because I'm following God. And he says, I'm free of that. I don't have to do it anymore. So I fight it. I wrestle with it. And I'm trying to be this new man, right? New in the Holy Spirit. I'm trying to do this. 
but it's a struggle and I have to fight. That's not hypocritical. Somebody might call you a hypocrite. Somebody might call you a hypocrite. I got a Blessed Hope bumper sticker on the back of my car. It's a poor choice. Right? Because sometimes in the heat of the moment, I am not so gracious when I'm driving. And so it might be easy for them to look and say, oh, they they got that whole Jesus thing going on, but they cut me off. Hypocrite. That's not me being hypocritical, man. That's me struggle. If I cut you off, I'm sorry. I'm not being a hypocrite. I'm just one, not a great driver. And two, I struggle with sin. That's not hypocritical, but here's what is hypocritical. Listen, because this might describe some of you and Jesus reserves harsh words for you if it does. So listen, when you say I'm a Christian and you don't even bother to fight it, when you say I'm a Christian and you don't even bother to recognize and fight your sin, that's hypocritical. Right? That's, that's a problem. When, when, when I tell you, if I, and boy, I think pastors are guilty of this. They are really, really guilty of this because it's really, really easy because we have a platform and we have a microphone and we have, we have all of you that are forced at least to pretend to listen to us. And so we've got this going on. And, and so when I say to you, listen, you got to forgive people that hurt you. You can't harbor anger and bitterness, but you've got to forgive. And I tell you that, but I walk away not even worrying about the own bitterness and anger that I've got in my heart. That's hypocritical. Right? If I stand up here, right, and I, and I rail against some sexual transgression, I'm like, this is bad. Homosexuality is bad, guys. Like, God says it's not okay, but then I'm like, yeah, you keep... Keep sleeping with people outside of marriage. We won't even worry about that one. That's hypocritical. Like abortion. Guys, listen. Abortion is bad. But we never once encourage you to do things for single moms or orphans or widows. Like, yeah, whatever. They'll fend for themselves. That's hypocritical. And it's not saying that these things are bad and that we shouldn't say these things are bad. Of course they're bad. Of course we say they're bad. We, we, we say what the Bible says. That's all we can do. But on the other end, we can't act like we don't care about the rest of it. It doesn't work. Because when the world sees that, what does the world see? The world sees hypocritical. The world sees that we say one thing and we mean another. And God says, look, you've got to knock that off. Your righteousness has to be better than the Pharisees, the scribes, and the teachers of religious law. Those people that put themselves over you, that act like they know everything, that talk about me, but then act like that, your righteousness has to be better than theirs. And so when he gets to religiosity and he starts talking about these things, he says, don't do that. Don't be hypocritical. And then he gets into this issue. The first one, the first issue of religiosity is talking about charity. He says, so when you give to someone in need, are they clapping? Something downstairs is really exciting. They're cheering for someone. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do. Blowing your trumpets in the synagogue and the streets, calling attention to their acts of charity. So 
says, because I tell you the truth, right? They've received all the reward they would ever get. They've received everything they'll ever get. Don't act like that. Some of your versions might have the word alms instead of giving to someone in need. They might say when you give alms. Alms is where we get our English word for charity. It has this idea of having pity and mercy. Pity and mercy mixed together. Have you ever had pity on someone? Right? Like, like this, this feeling of, oh, like I just feel so bad for them. I pity them, their situation. Mixed with actually doing something about it. Right? It's one thing to feel pity towards somebody. It's another thing to actually act on it. That's what this word is. This word of I see the need and I'm not just going to see the need. What does James say? I'm not just going to say to that person, hey, I know you're starving. Good luck. Stay well fed and walk away. But I'm going to do something about it. When you give to someone in need, when, when you give alms, when you give charity, don't do as the hypocrites do because what they do, right? The hypocrites, hypocrite, by the way, is a Greek word for actor, right? That, that's all that means. Hypocrite's not a bad word um, in its original context. Hypocrite just means actor, right? Because when you're acting, guess what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to pretend to be someone else. That's why people paid you. Not because of who you were, but because of who you were pretending to be. So they would put on their masks, they would blow the trumpet, and everybody would see that they were blowing a trumpet over here, and they would be like, oh, look, there's a show. Let's go over here and see who that actor is pretending to be. And if they did a good job, we would clap for them and give them money. Right? That's what they did. But, but what happened is that the, the religious leaders were acting like that. They weren't literally blowing trumpets, but, but they'd be walking around, right? And, and there'd be somebody that was poor and asking for a handout, somebody who was asking for alms, somebody who was, who was in desperate need. And they would be like, whoa, looks like somebody's in need. Let me see what I can do. Oh, I only have a 50. I guess I'll give them all of my money. And then they would put their wallet and they would walk away, right? Well, what was the goal there? The goal there wasn't to help the person in need. The goal there was for me to be loud and obnoxious, making sure that everybody knew that I was being generous and I was giving charity. And when I'm loud and obnoxious and making sure that everybody knows that I'm giving charity, right? Then all of a sudden they're looking at me and they're thinking, what a holy guy. He gave him a 50. Right? Like he gave him all of his money. Like, wow, he's really something special. Not you guys. You guys would be thinking, man, what a jerk. But they would be thinking, like, man, how cool is that guy? I want to be like him. I want to be generous like he is. And it's this big show of it. And so what Jesus is saying, look, if that's your goal, if your goal is to get everybody else to think you're great, then that's what you get. That's your reward. You don't get any spiritual reward. You don't get any religious connection with God. You're not getting gifts from your father. Your father isn't looking at you and saying, oh, I am so pleased with your behavior. You wanted the reward of people looking at you and thinking you were great. That's what you got. So for some of us, we have to reconcile that with how do, we, how do we act when we're generous? How do we act when we're generous? 
it's been a long time, but there used to be some people that would come to my office and instead of giving regularly throughout the year, they would come to my office with a really big check. Now, do I have an issue that they didn't give regularly throughout the year and they just wrote a big check at one point in time? No, I don't care. You can give how you want to give, right? Systematically, regularly, whatever God puts on your heart, that's, you, that's on you. Cheerful. But here, here's my issue. Why did I need to have an appointment with them to receive this offering that had nothing to do with me in the first place? Why was that necessary? Why did I need to receive this so that I would know? It's not like it was in an envelope and somebody stopped by and said, hey, I've been meaning to throw this in the offering plate. Could you take care of it for me? Great, okay. But it was like, hey, take a look at this. You know what the implication is? The implication is, do you know how generous I am? Why, why do we do that? We do it because it's human nature. It's human nature for every single one of us. That's why Blessed Hope, well before I got here, came up with the rule, like, we don't put plaques on things. Somebody, somebody donated for the stained glass window. But you know what you won't find on the stained glass window is a plaque that says who that person is. Right? Somebody helped pay for something else, but, but there ain't no plaque on it to tell us you helped pay for it. In fact, if that was the caveat, it was, if the answer was, I'll give you this if you'll recognize me, the answer was, thank you, but no. Because that's not okay. This is the point that Jesus is making, right? He's, he's like saying, look, when, when you give to somebody and your whole goal is to be seen as a good guy, then you got everything you wanted. There is no spiritual benefit to it for you at all. And he's saying, listen, your righteousness has to be better than that. It has to surpass that. And the issue isn't being generous. We were always told to be generous. Look, look what God says in Leviticus. If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and can't support themselves, then support him as you would a foreigner or a temporary resident. Allow him to live with you. This is God actually saying, hey, listen, if your neighbor all of a sudden can't afford to live on their own, invite them into your house. Like the issue isn't like, oh, should we be charitable? You're supposed to be charitable. The issue is your attitude about it. If you invite him into your house, don't start telling everybody how awesome you are because you invited your neighbor into your house. If you decide to help somebody pay their energy bill so that they can keep their gas on all winter long and have heat, awesome. That's fantastic. You don't have to tell them all about it. Listen, it's not a secret. I go to counseling. I've told you this before, right? I go to counseling. Somebody, and I don't even know because it's never been told to me and that's okay. I'd imagine they go to church here. You know, counseling can be expensive. Turns out those are professionals and they want to be paid. Somebody here has been paying my bill for like the last six months at least. I don't know who it is because there was no plaque when I walked out saying, oh, your bill has been paid by so-and-so. And that's a good thing. I'm grateful, but if the goal was to honor and worship God, not to have me think they're a great person, then guess what? 
then it happened exactly the way that it should have. God says we're always supposed to act this way. From the very beginning, when he established the law, he said you were supposed to take care of each other. You were supposed to act charitably towards each other. The problem was, instead of just acting charitably, they started acting holier than thou. They started acting about, like, how great am I? And he says, you can't do that. When you give to someone in need, just do it. You don't have to make it about you. Right? You want to donate to a safety home, awesome. Donate to a safety home. Great. Good on you. Right? Don't ask them to build it in your name. Just ask them to build it. God will get glory for that. I will be in that way letting my good deeds shine as a light before others, not so that they will give me glory, but so that they will see and give their Father in heaven glory. When we do faith in action, we aren't going to go out there and talk about how awesome we are. Like, man, do you know how great I am? I gave up three days. I spent some vacation time and I worked really hard, and it was great, and everybody should think, Matt is so cool. Man, I want to be as cool as Matt is. Listen, work hard. Someday you might be able to be. <laughs> work hard, right? And everybody says, Matt is awesome. That's not what we're doing, right? What we're doing is we're saying, hey, listen, we do this because we love God, and God loves you. And everything we have the ability to do, we do because God is good and gracious and kind. And you need to know him. And in that way, what we do isn't about us, but it's about God. This is why Jesus ends this. He says, look, so so here's what you do. When you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And that sounds cryptic. It sounds cryptic, but it just means give in private. And if you can't give in private, then, then give discreetly. Give with the right attitude. Give with the right motive. Give as simply as possible, right? Don't bring your check to my office, but just put it in the offering plate. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. You're like, well, what kind of rewards will we get? They're going to be awesome. And it's not bad to look forward to them. It's not bad to look forward to heavenly rewards because what Jesus is saying is he's like, look, there are two possibilities for rewards here. Your reward could be all of the attention you get from other people. Okay, that is what it is. He's like, but people are weird and their attention shifts and they can't focus for very long, and they think you're great today, and tomorrow they'll hate you. And and you'll be like, but what about that great thing I did? And it doesn't matter. You got your reward. It's over. But your heavenly rewards, those are eternal. What will they be? I don't know. But I know what the value of them will be. Do you know what the value of your heavenly rewards will be? Revelation tells us the value of your heavenly reward will be your ability to throw it at Jesus' feet and say, Jesus, you're all I need. You gave me all of this, and I am throwing it right back at your feet because you are all I need. I'm giving it all to you. The best reward you will ever get is knowing that your Father in heaven is pleased with you. This is what he says. 
He says, look, as soon as you get your heart right, the religious behavior, because yes, there is nothing wrong with acting religious. We, we act like we're mad at religion. We're not mad at religion, right? But here's the problem. Your religious behavior has to actually come from the right place. You can have two people doing the same thing, two people acting in the same way, and God will reject one and he will honor the other. Why? What's the difference? The difference is the heart. The difference is where that religious behavior is coming from. And in this instance, he says, when you're giving, give from a heart that wants God to get the glory, not yourself. Be charitable, yes. Serve people, yes. But do it in a way that points to God, not points to yourself. Now, we're going to go to a time of communion as we wrap up. And, and we can talk about, about charitable giving and how all that works and what Jesus has said about that. Or in general, I just want you to think about hypocrisy. And I'm going to ask you a question. In your heart, do you have some confession to do when it comes to this area of hypocrisy? Remember, hypocrisy isn't struggling with sin. We all struggle with sin. Hypocrisy is acting like we have it all together when we don't. Hypocrisy is acting um, harshly towards some sin and ignoring other sins. Hypocrisy, right, is when I make things about me, not about God. So I'm going to ask you, do you have some confession to do in the area of hypocrisy? If you're like me, you do. Now, I'm not a terrible hypocrite. I'm just an average hypocrite. Yeah, no, it's... Um, I'm also very humble. And so... Uh, no, listen, listen, listen. We talk about hypocrisy. Some of you are thinking like, well, those guys on TV, they're hypocrites, right? They're on TV asking you to donate millions of dollars so they can buy a new jet so that they can teach people about God's word. Listen, hypocrites, don't give them your money right? Don't do that, right? When we look at them, we're like, they are hypocrites. But listen, I'm a hypocrite. Am I better than that guy? Maybe. I don't know. Probably not, right? But I'm a hypocrite, right? Because it is not unusual for me in my struggle to say one thing and to think another, or to say one thing and to do another, or to condemn one thing and then engage on it over here. Right? It's, we struggle. And God says, I hate that. I hate it. God says, I hate it. It disgusts me. Go back to Isaiah. He says, it disgusts me. He says, instead, I want to see right living. And he ends that chunk in Isaiah with this. He says, all right, so come on. Let's settle this. Though your sins are scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them white as wool. This is what he's saying. He's saying, let's settle this. Yeah, you're a hypocrite. Yeah, your life is jacked up. Yeah, it's wrong. It's like, but, but I'm here to settle it. Let's settle this. He's like, you, your, your worship, it disgusts me. I hate it because it's false. It's fake. It's not real. So, but I want to make it right. How do I make it right? By forgiving you 
and by becoming the focal point. And so here's my question for you, right? Do you have repenting to do? Some of you aren't followers of Jesus. Some of you know all too well, when I talk about hypocrites, you're like, yeah, that's why I struggle with whether or not I want to be a Christian because I see all the hypocrisy. Listen, yeah, people suck. And sometimes church people aren't any different, right? But the standard isn't how we behave. The standard is what God says. We're all trying to live up to that standard. We're all trying to be perfect as our father in heaven is perfect. And so perhaps for the first time ever, you need to say, okay, God, yeah, you're right. You're asking me and I'm ready. Let's settle this. Yes, my sins are scarlet, but you want to make them white as snow. That is a simple exchange where I come to the cross and I say, Jesus, forgive me. I am a sinner. And because of that sin, I deserve hell. But God, I want you And I thank him for the sacrifice that he made and I accept him and I give my life to him and I choose to follow him and do it his way. It won't be perfect, but that's where I'll go. And and if that's you, then then that's, that's you needing to make a commitment to Jesus so that you can be saved. He says, let's reason together. Let's settle this. Your sins are scarlet, but I'll make them white as snow. Maybe the first time ever, but for a lot of us, I have a feeling that what we need to do also as we go to communion is we need to take this time to say, okay, God, let's settle this. My worship, my behavior to a degree has been disgusting to you. And and I need to make it right. And so we say, God, forgive me. And he says, yeah, I'll make that white as snow too. I will forgive you and pour grace out on you. And we can do this afresh anew. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to have the elders come up. Praise team's going to come up and we're going to, they're going to play for us and uh, um, we'll come and we'll grab communion and then take it back to our seats and we will take it together. Okay. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for, for this offer that you make. I mean, your word is so clear that, that we have fallen short in so many ways, God, but, but you have clearly um, made an offer to us that yes, even though we fall short in many ways, even though we've sinned, even though we're broken, even though we've been critical and hypocritical and problematic and, and, and that we've maybe caused other people to stumble. God, you aren't holding that against us, but instead you're saying, yes, come to me. Let's settle this. I want to make it over. Though your sins are red like crimson, I will make them white as the pure driven snow. So God, I pray as we come to you in communion that we will search our hearts, that we will confess our sin, and that we will repent. Father, I am a sinner, saved by grace. And God, I want to experience that afresh with you this morning. God, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your body that was broken and your blood that was poured out, that we celebrate that truth that we can be made right with you because of what you've done for us as we partake in communion together. God, we love you and we praise you. Amen.